You are listening to the Grow Law Firm Podcast, where each guest shares actionable, practical ideas with you on how to get more clients, expand your reach, and grow your law firm's revenue and profit. Here's your host, Sasha Burson. Welcome to the Grow Law Firm Podcast. I have an amazing guest here with me today. She's exceptional. Her name is Deborah Knopp, and here's what she does. She's a managing partner at Growth Play, and they do three things, or two things, rather. Number one is they will help you accelerate your revenue. Here's what that means. Most law firms in normal years where there is no outrageous inflation, as any other professional service organization, will grow at the rate of 4.3% a year. That is a little bit above the normal rate of inflation. That means that you're about standing still while working very hard. So they will help you accelerate your revenue as in the growth rate. Number two, they will help you amplify your talent, which really means is that your people will be better skilled at whatever it is that they do. They will help feel happier. They will make more money and they will help you make more money for your law firm. And all of that is done within the context of an exceptional client experience. So your clients will be happier, so you will get more referrals. Yeah. I'm going to turn over the mic to you and you tell our listeners and viewers and readers, how do you do all of those things? Because I have never met anyone at any organization. Some people will do this and some people will do that. I've never seen that like package like this before. So I'm turning it over to you. It's your show now. Oh, thank you, Sasha. Well, first of all, it's such an honor to be with you and I appreciate how you've set the stage and framed the nature of the problems and the and the um, opportunities that we help our clients solve for. Um, I the, the the thread that connects revenue experience to talent experience that produces client experience, the thread are two things. One is that our work absolutely builds on the data and the science, the psychology, if you will, of building loyalty and authentic relationships. That is the thread that when you have a focus on building authentic relationships, you have a focus on being other-centered. It will connect opportunities then to find more revenue opportunities, attract and retain the best and brightest people, and ultimately cultivate a level of loyalty both in your team and your clients in a way that creates sustainability. So the threading, if you will, is authentic relationships and other-centered problem solving that produce the outcome of loyalty I think the other thing that we most often hear from our clients is they value how we take into account the context of what it means to be a doer seller. Now, if you think about professional salespeople, they tend to wake up every morning and they know what their job is to do. And yet Mm -hmm. I have yet to meet a lawyer or really any professional who said the reason I went to law school and wanted to become a lawyer was because of the sales and marketing part of the job. Like it just isn't, it doesn't uh, compute. And yet here we are that the growth engine of any successful firm is strongly reliant on having your producers, the people who deliver great client service also need to have a great capacity to market and sell for future client opportunities and client service. And so what we have managed to discern in all of our 22 years of this work is putting our attention on the unique barriers that get in the way of the competition of billing time and marketing time. And we've created an access, a a way, a methodology, a set of mechanics that are very much designed to attach to the mindset of a doer seller, a person who can see themselves being successful at business development 
because we eradicate all the myths and we address some of those unique barriers that inevitably come up for a person who's responsible for also delivering the work. Got it. So let's think through a scenario because what you said right now made sense to me, but it also sounded complex. So let's break it down and make it simple. So let's imagine that you have a new client coming to you and they operate a $5 million estate planning law firm. Estate planning is all they do. They're in one state, one practice area. Their attorneys are billing at $300,000 per attorney per year. So to get the $5 million now, they have about 17 attorneys. Okay. Right. That $300,000 in gross revenue per attorney on average, things are not bad, nor are they good, right? They want to go higher, so they need to create systems so that they have more capacity, et cetera, et cetera. They're very typical in their growth rate is that they grow 5% a year when there is no inflation rate. And by the way, fun fact, a lot of law firms were not able to adjust their rates due to inflation. They had to stay put because their competition does not allow them to raise rates because everybody's afraid to raise rates. So now you're actually making less money than you We're recording this in March of 2023 when inflation is like 9.1 or 9.6%. So if you're watching 10 years from now, things are radically different. This is what it was in 2023, 2022, some of 2021. So so imagine their growth their growth rate with revenue five percent. So twenty twenty one they did like four point six, four point seven million dollars in revenue. Twenty twenty two they did five million dollars in revenue. Now you come to them and you're like, What do you want to achieve? And like the main person at the law firm, the founder, the managing principal is like, I want to go from five million to six million. Show me how to grow 17% instead of our typical 5% in the simplest terms. Okay. So, great. So, I think there are six muscles that we would typically, this law firm or any law firm, and and really this is irrespective of size. So, I want to highlight what I'm about to model is the rubric that works in the space of any professional services firm for that matter. But I would begin with that founder, that rainmaker, and I would say, All right, there's six building blocks, six areas where we need to build some muscle so that you can have the predictable breakthrough level of sales growth that you're trying to engage. So the first thing is we've got to establish mindset. And when we look at the mindset and understanding sales as an act of service, as we think about authentic relationship building, as we think about consistency and discipline, that first building block is going to be helping this law firm understand and demystify what are the essential ingredients that are required with regards to mindset? And so the first stage of any engagement is to really build some education, showcase how we think about business development strategy, how we look at the priority and importance of really understanding who are our good fit client potential areas and how do we approach our marketplace, not with an active self-interest, but moreover, an active service. So that's building block number one is in around mindset. Then the second thing that we're going to put our attention to are going to be on methodologies. Inside of a methodology, the first part of building a strategy is to understand, based on our current mix of revenue, what strategy is going to work best. We know at GrowthPlay that there's a G3 mnemonic that you can remember that says you've got a strategy that's focused on guard. So guarding your excellent clients or in the state in an estate planning firm, guarding those excellent referral sources, there's a level of effort and investment to re-originate, re-recruit 
the revenue that you're getting already. So I think there's a guard as part of G3. There is a grow strategy. So you begin to say, we're doing a small amount of work in the area of trust in states, and we'd like to widen the number of things that our clients could buy from us. So maybe positioning our controversy practice or our prenuptial agreement practice. So grow is really cross-selling or expanding volume of services that could help get to that 1 million increase in sales. And then there is the get. The get is often what people think about new business development. It's that net new client or that net new referral source. And so you need all three strategies in order to be successful. So we've got a mindset of thinking about business development as an extension of our client service. And then we have secondarily, we've got a strategy that's focused on G3, guard, grow, and get. All right, the third building block then is with those strategies in mind, now let's really look at the targeting and messaging of key relationships and key people where we would have the highest probability to repeat or replicate. We know that sometimes one of the biggest challenges when it comes to targeting and communicating a value proposition is that we often think if we cast a wider net, we'll catch more fish, when the reality is if you catch cast a wide net, you catch maybe fish and a lot of other stuff that distracts you. So having a really clear understanding of your guard, your grow and your get, and then examining who are the priority relationships, contacts that we're engaging and how do we communicate our unique value. Firms that put attention to narrow the net for purposes of focusing on real value. That's the third building block and sometimes the one that's pretty elusive. All right, fourth building block. This is about establishing a health and fitness regimen for business development in the name of building authentic relationships. Research tells us that it takes seven to 14 advances in a relationship, seven to 14 experiences of trust and value until such time somebody's ready to buy or ready to refer. Now, research also continues to tell us that most lawyers give up after two attempts of marketing. So when we think about seven to 14 efforts to invest, we got to have a long game plan in mind. And you want to be really clear that you're focusing on the right targets because seven to 14 efforts and randomness can certainly be costly and not ultimately produce that incremental growth of a million dollars. So relationship building strategies are all about the tactics, all about the authentic reasons that we stay in front of people. And what we know is that authentic reasons are always measured by your audience. And the great news is that if you build relationships with people and continue to get those seven to 14 units of value, usually it's through the acts of inviting people to things they want to do, introducing them to people they want to meet, and ultimately being in a position to share insights or information that are all about helping them be smarter, Mm -hmm. stronger, and more ready. So authentic relationship building is, again, the fourth building block that we would want to build in and build some muscle so that people have the ability or cadence to stay on top of not only the initial relationship building effort, but those seven to 14. And we also have coined a term known as the definitive next step. A definitive next step says you never, ever leave an interaction with somebody whom you wish to be your client or a referral source in the future without having something concrete and specific and time boxed and set in the moment. Now, we've all fallen prey to having a good interaction with somebody and saying, you know, we should get together sometime, only knowing that sometime is no time. So the fourth building block and really cultivating authentic relationships is something that I would say, and we need to look at it as a fitness regimen, teaching people how to build rhythm and discipline, specifically attuned back to that target market. All right, number five, 
once you've established this rhythm, then you've got to take on a, a mindset of a sales pipeline. And what we need to understand in sales pipeline or sales effectiveness is that typically high-performing sales organizations are very clear about where they are in this stage of buyer readiness. And in that space, that is all about understanding, are you at the beginning stage where there's a new problem to be solved? Are you at a discovery phase? Are you trying to figure out, is there a problem to be solved? Or is there a client that would be useful to refer? Are you at a solution phase, which again is an ability to give people um, a facility to talk about what they would do in order to advance the goals of a client? And then ultimately we've got the closing part of the engagement. Most lawyers operate on hope as their closing strategy. Hope is great to have. It is a terrible, terrible closing strategy. So I would be preparing them to not only understand the discipline that is required in sales to ultimately get to yes, get to a close, but doing in such a way that you're building a know-how, a facility so that people can be successful. The last building block, and frankly, maybe the one that gets overlooked the most when we think about business development and that million dollar incremental growth is that we're not paying near enough attention in developing an excellent client experience. Most law firms are, are recognizing that client service is a table stake, but many law firms are not yet fully realizing what it looks like to widen your revenue generating potential by having a consciousness of what it would look like to create something beyond the basics. You got to be timely. You got to be responsive. You've got to do high quality work. But what comes next is where value creation occurs. It's how you invite your clients into your orbit. So ultimately, you are creating activities and behaviors that boost loyalty and build something we call the super fan. A super fan is different than a fan. A fan is circumstantial. They might buy the jerseys and buy the ticket. A super fan is loyal. And creating a client experience that goes beyond the table stakes very often is the ignition platform that ultimately leads to new opportunities and new referrals. And I would tell this estate planning firm, everything that I just walked through is not only true for the end client, but in an estate planning context, you've also got to sell your intermediaries, those centers of influence, those other trusted advisors before they ultimately put you in front of a client. So it's a bit more complex, but that million dollars can be achieved looking through the lens of these building blocks. So fascinating. It sounds complex. So I'm putting myself at the shoes of somebody who's watching this or listening to this or reading this. And if I am that managing principal of the law firm, it sounds just like a lot to me. So the question is, out of these six elements, some of this stuff is learning. Some of this stuff is doing. I understand that you probably would want me to learn so that I could in time also transfer that knowledge. Yeah. But what of this am I going to be doing because my plate is already full? Notwithstanding, it sounds complex. And I will say that the complexity is really in the space of taking that which is probably common sense and putting into common practice. So the initial stages do require us not to look for the quick fix, not to live in the myth that if I just do one thing differently, if I ask the right question at the right time, boy, there's where a million dollars is. I mean, you can get lucky. What I would say, Sasha, is really it's a function of being willing to make a level of investment in training, making yourself open and vulnerable and receptive to coaching. And then it's really critical that you're putting attention on metrics and encouragement because we've got to look at this as the long game. So while maybe at some level there is some complexity to 
to grasp all of it, there's a lot of intuition that comes along the way. And by having a regimen or a game plan, it's nothing, it's the same thing with regards to having health and fitness. I mean, we've all heard all these great diets and these new workouts. And in the end, the essence of them really do boil down to some very foundational concepts. And I would say the same is true. If you've got to have strength, cardio, flexibility, sleep, nutrition, hydration, these are six things that are non-negotiable. If you want to be a healthy or have wellness in your life, well, I would submit to you the things that I just described can be translated to their most simple foundational basics in the same way that you would do a fitness plan. So, and to be sure, when I say cardio though, it's not prescriptive in that cardio equals running or biking. It could be swimming. It could be salsa dancing. You got to have an element of cardio, but there is flexibility that can occur for any firm based on their strengths. Let me recap it using my own words that may sound very different from what you said. To me, it comes down to the following. To go from 5 million to 6 million, which is actually 20% growth rate, you do not need to do hundreds of different things. You need to get a handful of fundamentals down. And I love, I have two brilliant quotes from you so far. The first one was sales is an act of service. I want to talk about that. And the other one is putting common sense into common practice. I've never heard of either one of those quotes before. So I'm like, brilliant. So putting common sense into common practice. So I am thinking when it comes to generating more revenue, if I am to take it outside of the context of delivering exceptional service and simply as like marketing and business development activities, et cetera. It's just putting certain things on the calendar every week of the year and just doing those things consistently from practitioner standpoint and from management standpoint, having a system in place that tracks that those activities were actually performed and measuring the output of those activities. Are we moving the needle or not? When are we expecting the needle to start moving? Because it's never like, we did this thing once, there comes another million dollars in revenue. It doesn't work that way, right? So it's going to take some time. So practitioners, practice, management, overseas measures, and controls to ensure that those inputs are done repeatedly on weekly, daily, monthly, quarterly, whatever basis, right? Absolutely. I'm appreciating that you're picking up on the idea of a common sense into common practice. Let me give you a very practical tool to underscore the common sense that has the opportunity to build rigor and discipline every time you have that scheduled, focused level of business development activity. So let's take, for instance, the occasion when somebody that you know asks you a simple question, what's up, what's new, how's it going? What do you think most people say, lawyers and others? What do most people say when they say, how's it going, what's up, what's new? What do most people say? Things are good. Things are good. Great, Great. things are great. Fine. Or right? So they're one word, simple word answers. Very, uh, people receive that. It doesn't you know, create anything that feels off or off-putting. All right. Other common responses that I hear. Sometimes I hear people say, not much, or same old, same old, live in the dream, or I'm crazy busy. All right. All of those responses, again, from a human connection perspective, the commiseration that we do with other human beings, These are all very typical and very common ways to respond to a very basic question. What's up? What's new? 
we teach an alternative to those common default responses so that every time you're interacting with somebody and they say, how are you doing? What's up? What's new? We would train and coach you to have what's new messages at the ready. So imagine that scenario, 15 to 30 seconds, if you had a positive professional headline that showcases the most interesting work you're doing, the coolest outcome that you're celebrating for a client, an interesting thing on which you're writing or speaking, or on a personal front, a what's new personal headline. Are you planning a trip to Spain? Are you celebrating a major milestone? Are you training for a marathon? Did you just get a dog? These are the kinds of positive, pithy headlines that if you build into your system and structure that every time I interact with someone, I have what's new messages on the shelf. And when we take it an even step further, if I know who I'm initiating contact with, then I would ask myself, how might this person respond to something that could lead to new business? Is it a different kind of problem that I'm not currently solving for this person that I could be? Well, if you ask me what's new, I'm going to talk about the new problem I'm solving for someone else. And human beings have very predictive responses. When we feel something, we tend to want to seek more information. And so in that regard, that really simple thing that you could add in like new muscle, again, common sense put into common practice, you begin to see an explosion, at least of higher quality discussions and creating memories for people that could lead to work over time. Fascinating. So, But it's only common sense if you actually spend a minute thinking about it because... I have a group of friends. We've all been friends for 27 years. One of us, whenever you ask them, what's going on? What's new? He always says the same thing. Same shit, different day. And I'm like, dude, when we die, if you're the first to go, I'll make sure to put it on your headstone. <laughs> I will just say same shit, different day. Right, right, right. So, so putting some intentionality into answering that question can lead to a very different outcome and just like a muscle like you mentioned right like if you practice it a few times it will you'll develop that muscle memory and you will simply answer that question that you probably get asked a few times a week every week yeah. right? no, no more than every you get it a few times a day sasha we live in a space where we never know who might be that access point for business generating. If we stay on the estate planning, just to keep using that as our kind of rubric or framing, imagine how many people in the world could be receptive for estate planning services. And if you're a client who's already, you've already done their foundational estate plan, what else might you say in a what's new message that would get them to think about someone else that they knew? So you might say, you say, hey, what's up? What's new? And I might say, oh, I'm really excited about a new focused service we're engaging at the law firm for women who need estate planning support after divorce. We're building mm -hmm. a real specialty in that arena and mm -hmm. always happy to assist or help people who might fit that profile. Now, you're my friend. You're my happy client. And suddenly now I'm telling you at a positive headline in the first 15 to 30 seconds how excited I am that we've got this new focused effort to support women in this very specific situation. Your mind can't help but start thinking about who are all the women that I might know that are in that scenario or situation. And if you don't know anyone in that moment, the next time someone that you know who is a female and is going through a divorce the way the memory stores messaging is in the form of pictures. My face will pop into your mind the next time you encounter a person in that circumstance. 
So there's real power in our what's new messages to activate our networks. Now, notwithstanding your friend, the fact that he's your friend and that he has a bit of a brand for being a same shit, different day. So be it. But I could imagine if, and I don't know if that this is the case, if he, among the 26 other of you, if there was anyone that might be able to help him with his business, introduce him to expand his network, help him get the right job, access capital because he's raising money for something, whatever it is, there may be a real missed opportunity because he's not igniting a conversation in a way that creates something fresh and distinct and memorable. And he's reinforcing all the time what is memorable, which in the end, it's friends. Your friends don't have to be clients or referral sources. But if you could change the dynamic, why wouldn't you apply this particular discipline? And the truth of the matter is, so we've been friends, as I mentioned, for 27 years. Out of those 27 years, the last 22, 23 years, we have been in professional roles. And I know that I am often in a capacity where I could help him in his line of work, but because all his responses say I'm shit different day, I only hear when things are like not going well at work, like really not going well, but that's already kind of sort of too late. Yeah. If you would like told me I'm working on this and it's not panning out the way that I hope it to, like, like, how would you do this? Here's how. You're go activated. Go make another hundred grand. Thank you. For the listeners, I want you to see how Sasha just worked through this real time yeah. using a real person and yeah. just that slight shift of mindset right. and a little layer of preparation and habit forming, as you described earlier, yeah. it starts to open up apertures in ways that we are not even aware mm-hmm. are available to us. So you also yeah. mentioned earlier, I want to make note when we think about this understanding of time and selling as an active service over time, again, that's not just what you turn on when you have time. It's a way of being before yeah. you engage in doing to create mm-hmm. the outcomes of having. And so who you be, you can't fake your way into authenticity. Like you can try, but it ultimately can create a backfire. So if you are not absolutely invested in the person, even if you have to suspend your self-interest and you're not willing to stay in it with some consistency, you're probably going to give up too quickly and you're not going to see the fruit because of your self-interest or, or your lack of patience. So I always tell individuals, so going back to our scenario, if they wanted to grow a million dollars in a year, the answer to that, again, is the simplifying, but it's also figuring out who in their marketplace that they already know would have access to the type of work that would pay a rate structure or a scoping that would allow them to get to the million very, very quickly. That's going to come largely through people that they already have a knowing and trusting relationship, which is why you got to take care of your guards and you got to look at your existing clients through growth. That's where I would be putting my attention in that arena because it can take 12 to 24 months to begin to realize fruit. And again, people give up too quickly. Yeah, that makes so much sense. But I want to emphasize on this point that common sense is not that common. And like, I consider myself a pretty smart guy and so do a lot of other people. But what you just mentioned led me to think about something that I could have thought about maybe 22 years ago or any time throughout this 22 years, I just didn't. You brought something up and I'm like, yeah, I just haven't ever, ever thought about it. And that's why you do want to bring in experts like Growth Play, like your company and your consultants, because there's probably 100% probability that wherever you go, those things will come up and you will make other people who you're working with think, why didn't they think of this before? There's one more thing that I want to mention, and this is 
really powerful. I always like, I like consultants a lot in various capacities because I know that when I hire the right consultants, they're always free. I also know that like not hiring them is kind of like a book that you don't read will not help, right? Or hiring a very mediocre or poor consultant can actually like take you in the wrong direction, but good consultants are always free and the ROI usually keeps compounding over the years after you have worked with them. So it's super important to get the right people in the right places without necessarily blowing up your payroll, right? Which is what's yeah. like, if you're a very large organization, maybe you could do it. If you're not, it makes no sense. But here I want to just emphasize on how much power there is in, in doing this. So imagine that you are at $5 million. Imagine that you do have like 17 people, 17 attorneys, and you probably have for every attorney, you have at least one support staff person, like a paralegal of sorts, right? A lot of payroll, a lot of payroll. Chances are you're probably not making the 20% net profit margin. Chances are you as the founding principal, if you do not have any partners, I hope that you don't because then you're divvying up whatever profit is left. If you don't, right? Like you have so many people. It's very unlikely that you're making what a professional service company should, which is 20%. So you might be making like five, 10% net profit pre-tax. Right, we'll say ten percent, so that's five hundred thousand dollars in pre-tax profit that you may take out as the only owner of the law firm. Now, you take this thing to six million dollars, your fixed expenses will not change. Your payroll will change, but not dramatically, because now your lawyers. This is the amplifying of your labor employees, however you refer to it, right? Your, of your team professionals, right? You amplify them. They're going to make more money. Are they going to make 20% more money? Maybe, maybe not. But even if they did make 20% more money, that million dollars, you're not going to end up with making like 10% more or 5% more because your fixed expenses are just fixed. You're not going to get a different office or a lot more software or a lot more of anything just because you increased from five million to, to six million chances are that your net profit margin of that additional million could easily be 40 50 percent so you go from five million and making 10 percent which is five hundred thousand, you can go to six million and on that incremental growth of one million dollars you can make 40 percent so you go from five hundred thousand to four to nine hundred thousand because you're making that 40 percent of the additional million Right, and you're you're paying your people that additional six hundred thousand. Yeah, of course. Right? So they're happier, and your pre-tax profit just went up from five hundred thousand to nine hundred thousand, which is an increase of eighty percent. Question: How much would you be willing to invest into getting that kind of outcome? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it. I I love hearing you break it down into simple math, and I will say that a good mantra is sale, sell, sales revenue generating capacity in your firm is freedom. Sales yeah. is freedom. 100%. If you have a sales engine inside of your firm, whether you're large or small, the numbers that you're describing and the math that you're looking towards, you know, I think about the 17, how do you how do you activate on positive contributions to business development out of the 17? Even if you got one more producer or two more producers to contribute because you yourself can carry the weight or the load and generating more for your firm. But what about activating all of that other levels yep. of strength? And when you start to, again, do that multiplying effect, this is when we begin to see breakthrough growth. And so I will say that 
if when I talk with any leader of any law firm, the amount that you're going to invest in any type of service or advisory in business development, not only marketing, but the actual implementation of all of those marketing efforts in the name of business development or client development or sales, call it what you will, that's where you begin to see meaningful, measurable, predictable, profitable return on investment. And yeah. so my encouragement is to, to build your business case as to where or how might we invest. I will tell you the business case my clients use, and we have uh, on average over the last 20 plus years, uh, more than 70% of our clients are hiring us to come back and do, do the next thing. Upwards of 85% of people are like, let's re-up. We want to keep engaging. And I think the reason that occurs is because they appreciate the cementing your culture with the right mindset, having at your access a methodology that's proven to work for lawyers, and then having the mechanics like the what's new message in play, the combination of those things not only creates that 1 million at 20% margin, it's when you start to see two, I thought you were going to say three, because with each unit of growth around your capacity, the numbers can be very, very attractive. Yeah. The reason why I brought up one is because it's much easier to wrap your mind around going from four and a half, five percent annual growth to 20% than like Hey, you're going to like grow sixty percent year over yeah. year. Most people are like, yeah, that's not realistic. So forty percent is realistic. So I want to cover one more aspect. So I have three quotes from you: sales is an act of service, putting common sense into common practice, and sales is freedom. We have very limited amount of time. I want you to focus on this one, the first quote that I got here: sales is an act of service. The reason why I want to focus it so much. Lawyers hate the word sales so much that they invented a different word for it, which is intake, which I'm like, everybody else calls it sales, but you call it intake. Fine. But if we are to really like use precise language, it is sales. And by the way, defining it properly will probably help you get a better outcome than if you delude yourself and say, we don't do sales. People call us and then whatever. Why is sales... Next of service. Think of it as a walking audition. Imagine if you approached every prospect or referral source first with the mindset of where are you right now before we engage or meet? What are the things that are most important to you? What are you trying to accomplish or achieve? And before I try to get you to buy something or try to push you to send me something, what would it look like for me to suspend my self-interest long enough to ask a few thoughtful questions to model empathy and care, and then to really listen so that I can solve the problem that should be solved, not just the one I bill for. If you can build the habit of having that otherness is your mindset, a generosity in that spirit, your world starts to have a very different receptivity and your reputation starts to shift and change, even if it's on a subtle level. So I would say that Thinking about every time you interact with a, a client, potential client or a referral source, it's an audition for what it would be like to be your client. And mm -hmm. if it's always only about you, and if it's always only about what they can do for you, you can see how the traction, the magnetism, the interest is very distinct and different versus every time I'm with you, it seems like you're always trying to help me. 
You're always yep. seemingly really interested. And if you, and I can tell you, human beings, if people show interest in us, we find them more interesting. And that's, that's, we can't train for that. That's just how our human minds engage. So that's why when we say sales is an act of service, well, what would the selling experience be like for the receiver for it to feel like a spa day instead of a root canal? Like what would have to be true about the content of that interaction? And so that's the standard in which we test ourselves. Here's the, here's the fun spillover benefit though. When I behave in that manner, so often people are like, but, but I want sales, I need revenue. And I say, if you can suspend it long enough to begin to engage it, what often also starts to happen is you start to occur differently to yourself when you're interacting with people and nothing builds sustainable loyalty when you like who you are when you're engaging in actions. So yeah. to, there's there's a layers and layers of effect when we move from sales as an act of self-interest to sales as an act of service. Ex-perfect sales. One of my early mentors taught me that, yes, you should call sales sales, but if you don't like the word, replace word sell with another four-letter word, which is help. You're there to help. You still need to know how to do it effectively so that people, because sales boils down to this. You're talking with someone, they're talking with you. You're making a decision whether you can help them and they're making a decision whether they should choose you to help them. Exactly. That's it. But you need to to do it in the right way because what we know, there's a guy, wonderful psychologist and sociologist from Canada, Jordan Peterson. He said, engineers is the only breed of people out there who talk themselves out of, who speak their way out of procreating. They're not good at selling themselves to the opposite sex because they talk about whatever their passion is. So if you know how to speak well and help with your words to your prospective client to choose you or decide that you're not a good fit for them because you're not going to be a good fit for 100% of the people you will ever have. But if you know how to, and I always like, whenever I talk to our salespeople, whenever I talk to other salespeople, and I'm like, you have to ask better questions than your competitors do. You have to tell better stories than your competitors do. And you have to know how to use the inflection of your voice at the right times, which is natural to some people and so not natural to others. And a lot of lawyers are super introverted, so it may not be like a natural skill set, right? But all of those things are developable, develop. Well, yeah, developable. Yeah. Developable. Thank you. So, and it's a lot easier than going through undergrad and then law school and spending $300,000 and then working for somebody else. Now, your outcome, the success better for most lawyers is the financial rewards. And this, like, like learning law, doesn't lead you to financial rewards, doesn't lead you to that success. Yeah. Learning what you're talking about does. Super important. I know you got to run. I got to run real quick. If whoever's watching this, listening this, or reading this wants to connect with you, how do they find you? And what is one question that you want them to ask you? All right. So you can find me on LinkedIn. So I'm Deborah Nup, D-E-B-O-R-A-H, last name Nup, K-N-U-P-P, that's Paul Paul, at Growth Play. That's where we are. Our website is growthplay.com. And I think the question, if, if people want to discern whether or not a firm like ours would be of help or a resource, I really always want to understand not only what are you trying to accomplish in growth or revenue, I want to understand why. 
And I think having that dialogue around what's underneath the growth, what's underneath the desire, that will often be a place where I can give you some ideas on ways that you can not only get the benefit of financial reward, but you can get something that lasts far greater, which is the power of authentic relationships. And so that's my kind of closing thought. you've been a wonderful guest. Thank you so much. Thank you. And it was just so much fun to have you here. Thank you. It's been great being with you, Sasha. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Grow Law Firm podcast. If you liked the ideas shared in this episode, help a fellow lawyer out by sharing a link to the episode. This episode is powered by the team of experts in client attraction, growlawfirm.com. Do you want a complimentary growth plan for your law firm? Request it at growlawfirm.com slash blueprint.